So let's pray before we get into God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is your house on your day. We are your people getting into your word. So we give you permission to speak to us. Right now, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to be here. Speak to us. Draw us near. Give us instruction. Give us encouragement. I pray that you might even redirect our path if we find ourselves on the wrong ones today. We open our hearts. We open our minds to hear from you. We invite you to speak, Father, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning from Psalm 92. We're going to go old school, Old Testament. We're going to look at the Psalms. Go to Psalm 92 this morning. And I want to bring you a message with a very simple title. The message is called Firmly Planted. Firmly Planted. You know, when we look in the New Testament, before we go to Psalm 92, when you look in the New Testament, one of the things that you see is that the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 lays out this concept for us that many of us as Christians are familiar with. It's this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, traits that God wants to grow in our lives as we walk with him. And Paul writes about the fruit, and he really expresses to us that when we walk with God, when we're growing with him, The Holy Spirit wants to see these traits develop in our lives, and he names them. He says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He lays these out as the fruits of the Spirit, these things, these characteristics that will grow within us as the Spirit leads. And all of these attributes, again, they begin to grow in our lives when we surrender our lives to Christ and allow his Spirit to work within us. And from a New Testament perspective, we know that the Holy Spirit wants to produce godly fruit in our lives. It's all through Scripture. But long before Jesus gave his disciples the promise of the Holy Spirit, and long before the Apostle Paul wrote about them in Galatians 5, the Old Testament psalmist observed that God was making his people fruitful when they chose to build their lives a certain way and in a certain place. And there was a place and a lifestyle that God was blessing long before Paul wrote about the fruits of the Spirit in the New Testament. And today I want to talk about that place and that blessing that God is still making available to us today. But before we read from Psalm 92, I think it's important that we kind of take the Psalms and put them in context, get a better understanding of how we receive from the Psalms. When you look at the Old Testament, the Psalms are one of five poetical books in the Old Testament. It's written as poetry. And sometimes people will take the poetry books and even the Psalms and will kind of look at them from a distance and see them as only being figurative. But while the Psalms weren't necessarily written as commands or directives, they were always observations of the truth of God's word, God's nature, and God's character. In other words, if the Psalms reveal God's nature and God's character to us, even though they might not be written as commands or directives, that doesn't mean that we still can't learn from them. Because when we read through the Psalms, what do we learn? Well, the first thing I think of, we learn about praise and worship from reading the Psalms. How to praise God, worship Him, and bow our lives at His feet. So even though the Psalms might be written poetically, that doesn't mean there's not instruction or wisdom to be found Within them. When a psalmist wrote about a lifestyle that God was blessing, we should still take note today and heed the wisdom from some of the forefathers of our faith. And again, before we get into Psalm 92, I also want to say this. You know, Psalm 92 is unattributed. 
There's not an author that's given to Psalm 92. It's almost held like a traditional psalm. In fact, if you look there at the heading in your Bible or whatever device you might be reading from, it might even say a song for the Sabbath. It's not attributed to David or anybody else by name, but it was given to us through the tradition, and I think it's pretty fitting that here on the Lord's Day we would jump into Psalm 92. So I want to read to you this morning and look at this picture of God blessing and flourishing his people. Psalm 92, let's start at verse 12. It says, the righteous shall flourish, everybody say flourish. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow, everybody say grow, like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted, everybody say planted. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. And somebody said amen. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall still be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. I love Psalm 92, and if I were to just like kind of open my heart and talk from Psalm, about Psalm 92, I would tell you that this is one of my life passages. I've had people ask before, do you have like a life message or you know a life verse? And I can't say that I could point to just one, but I would honestly tell you that Psalm 92 is without question a life passage for me or one of them. And the reason why is because I remember when I was 23 years old, many of you have heard me tell my testimony. When I was 23, God got my attention, began to draw me back to him after five, of, five or six years of kind of walking my own way and not being in relationship with God. And when God got my attention, I was able to kind of look back over my shoulder and recognize I grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid. I had a lot of community and connection and fellowship within church. That was a place that I grew and really became who I was. But over those five or six years of walking away, when God got my attention and drew me back, I began to quickly realize that suddenly, even though I was starting a relationship with God again, I was doing it all by myself. And we say this all the time, but let it never become cliche, my friends. God did not intend any one of us to do our faith journey alone. God wants to surround us with people who will encourage us and strengthen us and add value to us so that we can do this journey of faith better. Somebody say amen this morning. And I know many of us look around and we see that God has blessed us with amazing friendships. So when I came back and started this relationship over again, it was like God was pulling me into his family. And the very first thing I did when I found myself kind of doing it alone was I said, I know what I got to do. I've got to get plugged in, in the local church, in the house of God. Why? Because again, we don't want to do it alone, but I needed strength. I needed people to stand with me. I needed people to encourage me. And Psalm 92 talks about what it means to be planted in the house of the Lord and see his flourishing and his blessing come into our lives. So that's really why this has been such a life passage for me, because I know that I wouldn't be where I am today without people that God placed around me to help me, to strengthen me, and to encourage me. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 92, and during most of the time, we're really going to look at just two of the verses, okay? But we're going to complete up through verse 15 in just a few moments. But it's important to understand that God wants us to be surrounded so that we can be strengthened. Now, go back to verse 12 and look at it one more time. It says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The first word that I want to pull out right here is this word righteous or righteousness. The righteous shall flourish 
like a palm tree. When you see the word righteous from Old Testament to New, the meaning of the word doesn't really change. But the way righteousness is kind of obtained does change from Old Testament to New. Now, it's worth saying that as believers, or even if we look back in the Old Testament at the people of God, the nation of Israel, what we could honestly say is that righteousness first starts with the heart that is directed or dedicated to the Lord. A heart that looks at God and says, I want to honor you, I want to serve you, I want to revere you in everything that I do. That's really the place that righteousness starts. But we have to also acknowledge that we can't save ourselves and we ourselves cannot obtain righteousness through our works. So when you look at the Old Testament, one of the pictures that you see was that every time sin entered into the picture, a sacrifice had to be made to atone for sin. And so in Old Testament Israel, it's almost as if a walk with God or a relationship with God wasn't just defined by a heart that was aimed toward God. It also came with this checklist of things that you had to do, performance that you had to have in order to please God and stay right in his standing. Offerings for atonement, sacrifice for atonement in order to be in right standing with God. And all of that is true. But then you fast forward to the New Testament, and I got good news for you, my friends. No longer is God looking for burnt offerings, and no longer is he looking for sacrifices, because Christ was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. He is our righteousness, and God is no longer looking to us to perform for him. In other words, righteousness in the eyes of God is no longer about our performance. It's all about Christ's perfection. And that doesn't mean that we don't try to apply the character and the nature and the principles of God's word to our lives. We absolutely should. It doesn't mean we run off in a sinful and lawless direction. No, no. We apply the truth of God's word to our lives. But here's the deal. No longer is God looking at us judging our performance. He's looking at us through Christ's perfection. Scripture says that you and I are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if you came in the room today feeling pretty unrighteous, and imperfect, and all you can focus on is your mistakes, I want to remind you today that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When God looks at you, he doesn't see you for your mistakes, he sees you through the lens of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Is anybody thankful this morning for what Jesus has done for us? So when you see righteous there in Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish. It's talking about those who are right in the sight of God. Now, let's continue on here because now that we understand that, I want to move to the next word and get a clear understanding of it before we piece all of this together. The righteous will flourish. What does that word flourish mean? It's interesting. In the Hebrew, in the original writings, it's the word parak, which means to bud, to sprout, to bloom, or to blossom. Now, if we, just, if we just read verse 12 all by itself and we go no further, it's easy to conclude that because we are right in the sight of God through Jesus, our lives should be flourishing no matter what. But it doesn't stop there. There's a bigger picture that's being painted here in Psalm 92. Remember, the psalmist is comparing the righteous to trees. He says the righteous are like palm trees and like the cedars. In Lebanon, he's making a bigger observation and drawing a bigger analogy. And that's why we have to continue from verse 12 to verse 13 to fully understand what he's talking about. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, like the cedars in Lebanon. And then verse 13, those who are planted, everybody say planted. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. 
Again, it's important that we see the whole picture, the whole analogy that's being painted for us here. The psalmist says that the righteous are flourishing like trees. But listen, trees can't flourish unless they are first firmly planted. See, the writer is making it very clear that my flourishing in life is directly linked to how firmly planted my life is. In other words, the level at which my life is flourishing will be directly determined by how firmly my life is planted. And I love, love, love this analogy that we see in Scripture because the psalmist is making it so clear that you cannot separate God's flourishing from my choosing to be planted. And I know I've said that word planted a few times now, but here's the thing. Planted where? Planted just anywhere? No, no, he goes on in verse 13, and he says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord. Man, I, know, I don't know about you, but my life has changed when I put down my roots in the house of the Lord. When I got planted firmly in the house of the Lord, God began to strengthen me. God began to add to my life the friendships and relationships that I needed. He began to water my life with his word and with his spirit and with his presence, and suddenly I saw my life begin to flourish. With all those pieces put in place, this beautiful analogy, this beautiful picture that the psalmist is painting, I want to dig a little bit deeper on some of these examples that he's using. Again, verse 12, he says, the righteous will flourish like palm trees. Let's take a few minutes and talk about palm trees. When you came to church this morning, you didn't think that we would spend a few minutes talking about palm trees. I don't know about you, but if you lived anywhere else at any point in your life, or you were born somewhere else, or you have a background from somewhere other than Southern California, there was a time in my life that I lived in a place where there were no palm trees. I was born in Northwest Arkansas, and I remember, you know, we lived there until I was almost eight years old, and we would come out to visit my grandparents every, you know, couple of years, and I remember when I was a kid before we actually moved to California, when we came here, it was like we would get off the airplane, get in the car, and we would always fly into L.A. where, you know, my, my grandparents lived on the eastern side of L.A., and we would go over to their house, and I remember driving down the street, and you would look out the window, and let me tell you, the climate, the atmosphere, the trees around you are a whole lot different in California than they are in northwest Arkansas. And we would get here and look around and see those palm trees, and it was just a whole different vibe. It's like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything quite like that. And if you grew up here, you probably take it for granted. I've lived here most of my life, and we kind of take it for granted, the beauty of the palm trees that God put in this place. But here's the reason I say this. If you're from somewhere else, you know and understand it's not just that palm trees don't grow everywhere. It's that palm trees can't flourish and stay stable and healthy and strong in just any environment. And I remember a few years ago, I was having this conversation with my brother-in-law when we were just talking about, you know, living other places and weather and climate and environment. My brother-in-law is from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I told him, I said, man, I would love to, like, actually get to experience, like, four full seasons. Like, it would be cool if it snowed here once a year. And my brother-in-law looks at me and says, hey, be careful what you wish for. He says, because where I come from, they build tunnels in it to play in in the wintertime, and it stays there for months, and then before it's fully gone, it looks disgusting pretty much everywhere until the snow is fully gone, the sun has fully come, and the season actually changes. Let me tell you something, there's no palm trees in Grand Rapids, Michigan, because it's not an environment where that tree can flourish. And one of the pictures that the psalmist is wanting to paint here is that there is a place that our lives can flourish if we as believers will choose to put our roots down. And what is that place? That place is the house of the Lord. 
And see, a lot of us as believers, as New Testament Christian believers, we fall into the trap of thinking that my relationship with God is me and God, and I don't need anybody else. Church, friendship, connect groups, relationship, fellowship, I don't need any of that. I'll figure this out. Me and you, God, we got this. And what we fail to realize is that God wants us to get connected and planted in one specific environment where our life will flourish and be blessed unlike anywhere else. And sometimes we take that place totally for granted. We can call ourselves Christians and expect our life to flourish, but still not put roots down in this one specific environment where God says there's all kinds of blessing and all kinds of flourishing that you'll find there if you'll simply choose to put your roots down. And what makes it even worse is that sometimes we lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that we can claim Jesus as Lord and Jesus as Savior, but spend so much time in our lives in other environments that are totally unhealthy for our Christian life to flourish. I don't say that as a word of condemnation. I know that a lot of us, we grew up, and you don't go here, and you don't talk to these people, and you don't listen to that music. I understand. It can become legalism really quick. But I want to tell you something. If you want to be a strong follower of Jesus Christ, there are a lot of unhealthy environments out there where your life will not flourish should you choose to put roots down there. But then there's this one environment that God has made that says, no, no. There's this one place I've created that if you will go and you will put your roots down and you will get connected, your life will be blessed and flourished. And that place is the house of the Lord. Can I tell you something, my friends? Don't go searching in other environments for the thing that God wants to give you in this environment, in the house of the Lord. He wants your life to to be blessed, to flourish, and to prosper. But it only happens when we put our roots down firmly in the house of the Lord and get connected with him and other believers. Amen? There's an environment that God's created that is conducive to your health, growth, and stability. And that place is called the house of the Lord. A lot more that we could say about that, talking about palm trees, but God has created an environment for you to flourish. But the psalmist goes on. He doesn't just talk about the palm trees. In verse 12, he says, they will flourish like a palm tree, like the cedars in Lebanon. Now, for us, the cedars of Lebanon is something that we're not all that familiar with unless, you know, we've done some really deep Old Testament study in our life. And I remember several years ago as I was reading through this, there was some stuff that stood out to me. In fact, we were talking about some of the characteristics of the cedars of Lebanon just between services today, and this was really interesting. You know, the cedars of Lebanon were really seen as the most majestic of trees in the ancient Near East when the Old Testament was written. And today, living in 21st century America, we know about the California redwoods, and we know about all these other species of trees, and it's fascinating that the righteous are compared to trees in the Bible. But here's the point I want to make. You know, the cedars of Lebanon are really a picture of strength and longevity, because you would look up at these majestic trees, and we could even look at other trees as well and say the same thing. That you look at the strength and really the majestic nature of these trees that stand so tall. And we think to ourselves, wow, how long did it take for it to look like that, to become like that? One of the things we were talking about between services today is that there's this this fact list about the cedars of Lebanon that we were reading through. And the cedars of Lebanon don't begin to bud or sprout until they're 30 years old. Sometimes we want God to bless us with fruitfulness overnight. And God's like, no, you need to put some roots down and stay firmly planted for a while. Because if you'll make that choice, then I'll bring about the fruit in your life. But a couple of other things are really interesting. The cedars of Lebanon. Several years ago, I went to read about this passage of Scripture, the first time I ever preached from it. And I learned something about the cedars of Lebanon that just jumped out at me. See, the cedars don't just grow tall outwardly, but they grow deep below the surface. 
And all trees do that, but the roots of the tree go down, and while other cedars are growing nearby, as the roots of the cedars in Lebanon go down, they also begin to reach for one another until the roots of these individual trees are combined with the roots of the other trees, and pretty soon there's something stronger happening beneath the surface that we can't even see that's adding strength to those trees. Some of you know where I'm going with this. See, if the house of the Lord is this soil, this rich soil, we are to be firmly planted, one of the things that God wants to do in our lives is for us to make the decision to put our roots down. And as we do it and we choose to stay there and be firmly planted, soon our roots begin to grow out and we start to get connected and attached and interconnected with the roots of other believers around us. And pretty soon there's some strength beneath the surface. And I want to say this to everybody in the house today. As Christians, there is no promise from God's word that we will be immune from the storms of life. Storms are just going to come. But I can promise you this. When you are firmly planted in the house of the Lord, interconnected with other believers, when the winds and rains and storms of life begin to come, you will be deeply rooted and not easily deplanted or uprooted or turned over in life. You know, today we're having our Connect Group Expo. It's Connect Group Sunday. I know that a lot of you are like, oh, I was waiting for you to get to the hook about Connect Groups. But I'll tell you something. There are so many Christians who are wandering around on the paths of life trying to figure it out all by themselves when God says, just come put your roots down in the house of the Lord and find other believers that will stand with you and give you strength. Because if you'll do that, can I tell you something? You won't be easily uprooted. You won't be easily blown over. You won't be easily toppled. Your life won't be easily tipped over and things turned about in your life. God wants us to connect with one another so that we can do life well and be strong. Now, I said this a moment ago. When we connect with one another, we're not easily uprooted. This is interesting. I was thinking about this. I read a book recently where the author of this book was talking to an arborist. And, you know, an arborist works with trees. They, they know all the nature of trees. They know, understand how to trim them. And, you know, there's California protected trees that are probably growing near some of your homes. And you can't just walk out with a chainsaw and be like, you know, I need that limb to go away. No, you've got to call an arborist somebody who knows what they're doing. And this gentleman was writing in his book about an arborist that he spoke to. And this arborist said, you know, one of the interesting things about trees is that you can uproot and transplant a tree two, sometimes three times, but if you try to do it any more than that, usually the tree begins to die. And one of the things that I've noticed is that we sometimes live fickle Christian lives where we think, nah, just any environment's gonna make me flourish because God's with me, bless the Lord, and I got this all on my own. He's gonna be my joy, be my strength, and God's not asking me to do anything else. No, God's asking us individually to be planted and interconnected with other believers. And I think that we are living in the age of wonderlust, where it's like, you know, I'm getting a little bored and impatient with the place that I'm at. I've seen a lot of people moving out of California. <laughs> Be cool to go check out the vibe in Austin. I've heard it's awesome there. So many people are going there. Tennessee, Idaho. Man, the amount of people I've heard that are moving to all those places, that just sounds cool, right? And you know what? God sometimes asks people to transplant, to go other places. But listen, there's a big, big difference between transplanting and uprooting. And one of the reasons why is because sometimes we start looking around and we get our own desires and our own, you know, whatever. There's something inside of us that's growing that starts to lead and move our eyes in different directions, even though we might have been firmly planted in the house of the Lord in the place that we're at. 
And sometimes we throw caution to the wind. We uproot, we go somewhere else chasing whatever this desire is here, totally disregarding the fact that we have now uprooted our lives from the healthy soil that us, our families, our kids have been planted in. And can I tell you something? It's possible that God might transplant you somewhere else. He did it with Abraham. He did it with the New Testament apostles. But it's also very, very possible that we, under our own motivation, can run off and uproot ourselves, expecting our lives to flourish, when the whole time we have no roots in the ground. And here's the thing I've learned, is that if we want to live fruitless lives, then we should continue to live rootless lives. Because if there is no fruit, then there's usually no root. But if we want our lives to be fruitful, we got to go back and make sure that we are firmly planted. And there's an environment that God has created, and it's called the house of the Lord. Don't take for granted the healthy place that God is calling you to put your roots down. Stay firmly planted in the house of the Lord and watch everything around you begin to flourish. Amen? All right. Now let's talk about the house of the Lord for just a minute. In the New Testament times, it's easy for us to see the house of the Lord merely as a place that we go or a church that we attend. I, I gotta be honest with you, as a pastor, having been in ministry for a few years now, the word attend or attendance is such a, a word that makes me cringe when I think about church now. Because I can attend a baseball game. I can buy a ticket and go to a football game. I can spend a lot of money and buy a ticket to go to a Lakers game. And I can attend the game. But guess what? I've got no stake in what happens there. We were talking about this between services, and Pastor Ann said, did you ever notice that a tree doesn't attend the forest, a tree is the forest. Sometimes that's the way that we see the house of the Lord, a place we come, a place we go. We leave it there on Sundays. We might pick it up next Sunday, take it or leave it, show up when we want. It's been a while, I, I don't know. Sorry, I'm not trying to be judgmental of anybody. But it's important we have a proper understanding of the house of the Lord. In order for us to understand this passage, we have to consider the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple. Now, we're going to go pretty Old Testament here for just a moment, so stay with me, okay? In the Old Testament tabernacle, what you had was this picture, this thing that God wanted the Israelites to set up. It was like a camp, a tent of meeting, a place they would come together to worship God, to offer sacrifices. Cleansing took place there, okay? But with the tabernacle, you had, it was almost like the walls or the fence that was around the tabernacle. It had the gates you entered through, and once you entered through those gates, you were standing in the outer courts, so there could be a group of people who were waiting there in the outer courts before you went deeper. And there was, you know, the, the laver of water. There was the flask of oil. There was the altar for burning. There was the holy place and then the most holy place. But all of it was a picture of what God had ordered for the nation of Israel to come. And the gathering was hugely important for him because it was worship where the people came together. The psalmist writes this and he says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. And every Old Testament Jewish person would have understood courts is talking probably about the outer courts of the tabernacle, the place where people were gathered before they went further in to get closer to the presence of the Lord. And here's the picture I want to paint for you. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, if we keep the house of the Lord as a central part of our life, if we choose to plant ourselves there, put roots down, and make it something that's highly priority and important to us, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish where? 
in the courts. When we choose to plant ourselves in the house of the Lord, God will see to it that we flourish in all of the surrounding areas. It'll be as if everybody in your world looks and says, I don't know what it is, but it just seems as though everything is blooming and budding and blossoming in your life. What is it? What's happened? It's because I have firmly planted my life, my family, my marriage, my relationships in the house of the Lord. And because God has made me this promise, everything surrounding me is beginning to flourish. I'm getting more excited than you guys are this morning. But I'm telling you, God wants to bless our lives, and we shouldn't be afraid of the word blessing or flourishing because the promise is all throughout Scripture. The question is not, does God want to bless us? The question is, do we want to be planted? The question is not, do we want our lives to flourish? The question is, am I willing to plant my life in God's house with God's people? That's the big question. And I know that we could really get lost talking about church attendance and other things here too, but that's not really the point. Let me mention that for just a moment. Many might hear that and go back to this question. Is my Christianity supposed to be defined by my church attendance? And the answer to that question, of course, is no. Because church is not a place that we go, it's who we are. But look at the pictures, Old Testament and New. The psalmist here is talking about the house of the Lord and planting ourselves. Not only that, but in Hebrews 10.25, the writer of Hebrews says that we should not forsake Not the assembly, like a group coming together, but the assembling, I-N-G, of the parts. Paul also says that you and I are the body of Christ. You're one part, I'm another part, but the body doesn't fully function unless the parts are assembled. Meaning that my Christianity isn't defined by how often I enter into the four walls of the church. It's really defined by me gathering with you and joining my life to you and us collectively choosing to honor and follow God. Now watch, because the Apostle Peter said it this way later on in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, he said, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a spiritual house. I love that picture. It's not defined by four walls. It's what we are in our gathering and assembling. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And all of this evidence paints the picture that my Christianity shouldn't be defined by church attendance, but rather by how firmly planted in God's house with God's people pursuing God's purposes my life is. Those are the things that will define my walk with God. And that's not just a choice that I make in certain seasons of my life. Now, listen to me here. That's not just a choice that I make in certain seasons of my life. God is calling me as a follower of Christ to give all of my life to being firmly planted in his house so that my life flourishes in every season until the end. I think I skipped over this in my notes earlier, but I think sometimes we hope that God will bless our lives and make our lives flourish if we do some casual church hopping, or as I like to call it earlier, church grazing. Church grazing is like the way that my wife shops. She walks in and she looks, she touches every little thing. Like I, I was told in first service, when I wanted to buy this shirt, I knew where to get it. I knew it was going to cost $5. So I went in, I gave the guy five bucks and I was gone in five minutes. Job done. My wife hasn't gotten through the second item in the first five minutes. She's like, oh, that, that's kind of nice. Needs to touch it, pick it up, look at it, fold it back. Maybe look at it again before she moves to the next thing. She kind of grazes in the way that she shops. And I think sometimes we can deal with church the same way. We hop around, finding the feeling, finding the vibe, finding the thing we're looking for that's just for us, for me, for my family, you know, 
It's perfect for me because church is all about me, right? Or we do it when it's convenient. But if I want to have longevity of blessing and flourishing in my life, then I have to make a decision that all the days of my life, I'm going to be firmly planted in the house of God. Can I tell you something? If you want your kids' lives to flourish in the future, set the example today of the value of the house of God, not just in your life, but in theirs as well. We want to see our lives flourish until the end. Now, in closing this morning, speaking of the end, I love the way that verses 14 and 15 wrap up this portion of the passage. It says in verse 14, watch this. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall still bear fruit in middle age. He wasn't listening to me. And they shall be fresh and flourishing. If you read that in the King James, it doesn't say they will be fresh and flourishing. It says they will be fat and flourishing. Some of you were like, I'll take fresh. (laughs) But it's not speaking to the accumulation of riches. It's not speaking to all the amazing stuff that God gave me that I could put on the shelf and in all my storage bins and storage containers that I can heap up for myself and hopefully take with me on the other side. It's not talking about that. It's talking about a legacy of the goodness of God. That word there for fresh or or fat, it literally means rich. And again, not about possessions. It means rich with wisdom, rich with experience, rich with the blessing of the Lord, and rich with the testimony of God's faithfulness in my life. And there are people across this room who have many years lived in their life beyond mine, and you guys have testimonies of the, you, you have a, a wealth, a richness of the testimonies of God's goodness in your life. And there are generations coming up behind you that need to hear the testimony. And that's why we're a multi-generational church, because God brings us together so that the story can be told, so that the legacy can go forward. For all the guys that were bridge men on Friday night, you know, to be the preacher who stands on the platform, it's like everybody's looking at you, but sometimes when you're up here, you get to see the things nobody else does. And I was looking at the back at Bridge Men on Friday night, and I saw just a handful of the older guys in our church that had come that night to Bridge Men that were sitting together. When we were praying for all the guys, I looked back and I saw these four guys with their arms around each other. And man, you have no idea how that touched my heart because I looked back there and it was like that picture of the cedars of Lebanon standing back there with roots around each other saying, we got testimonies of what God has done. We've had storms. There's been times where it's been tough, but God has always been faithful and we have lived to tell the tale of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. Because all morning long, we could have preached this message just to talk about God's blessing and God's flourishing, only to make about everything that God wants to do for me, 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 me. Then you get to the very end of the passage, and what does it say in verse 15? So that we can declare that the Lord is upright, that he's my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. 
You see, your flourishing isn't about you, and my blessing isn't about me. Our blessing and our flourishing all serves to tell the story of the goodness and the greatness of our God to the generations that live today and the generations that are to come. So let's be the people who choose to put our roots down and be firmly planted in the house of the Lord. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to be finished in just a few minutes, but I just so know that the Holy Spirit is here right now, dealing with hearts. I want to ask everybody, just in a moment of reverence, without looking around, just to kind of take an inventory of your life right now, and I just want to ask a couple of questions. Do you feel like your life is flourishing today? Honestly. Do you feel like your life is fruitful? Do you see the blessing of God surrounding you everywhere that you look? Maybe you look around and feel like there's a lot to be desired and God's blessing seems to be missing in your life. I want to tell you today that anytime we feel like there is no root, we have to go back, or excuse me, there is no fruit, we have to go back and examine the root. And I would ask every person this question, where are you planted? Where are you putting down roots? Is it in that place that God says there's blessing and flourishing? Or are you looking for blessing and flourishing in all the wrong places? Father, I pray today that you would speak to us, that you would show us the value of your house. God, this room is filled with testimonies of people who have placed value on your house, put their roots down, and their lives have flourished. I'm thankful for those stories, but I pray that today, God, we would heed your word. We would choose to put our roots down, not just for us, but for the generations that are to come, that they would know the goodness and the greatness of our God. Father, tell us today how we can change. If there's any areas where we need to pull roots up in unhealthy soil and put them down in your house, I pray that you would show us today. I pray, Father, that you would help people get connected, interlocking their roots with other believers who will strengthen them and encourage them and show them what it means to live a long, flourishing, fruitful life. In Jesus' name. Right now, with heads bowed, with eyes closed, I just want to ask another question. A moment ago when we began, one of the very first words that we focused on was this word righteous or righteousness. Scripture says that if we are in Christ, we become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. In other words, it's not about your performance, it's about what Jesus did for you in his perfection when he went to the cross. Scripture says that all of us have sinned, we've fallen short of God's perfection, but God in his grace and his goodness saw us lost in our sin and said, I've got the perfect solution. I'm gonna send my son, Jesus, the sinless, spotless son of God who came to this earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, died a death that we deserve so that our sins could be paid for. But he didn't stop there. Three days later, God raised him from the dead and conquered death, hell, and the grave so that you and I would not have to face it. And if we would put our faith in Christ, we could come into this relationship with God, that thing we don't deserve, because we say yes to Jesus. He becomes our Lord, and he becomes our Savior. I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment, and I wanna invite every person in the house to pray this prayer with me in your own words, but maybe you're here today and you know you need to commit your life to Christ because it's the only way we come into relationship with Father God. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're far from God because you know you haven't been walking with him. I wanna invite you to come back into the family of God because the Father is standing with his arms wide open ready to welcome you back into the family. I'm gonna pray right now and I invite you to join in with your own words to this prayer. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for our sins. We believe that he is the son of God and we believe that his death was full payment for our sin. So today we receive Christ 
We thank you that you raised him from the dead and you conquered death so that we could have new life. We choose to walk in the new life that you have for us in this life here on earth until we are with you face to face in eternity. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. And today we will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, listen, we just got a couple more minutes in our service and Pastor Gary's gonna come here in just a second. But if you made a decision to follow Jesus this morning, it's our responsibility to help you get started in that walk with God. We have a free gift we'd like to give you called The Next Seven Days. It's just a little book we wanna put in your hand that'll help you start your journey of faith. When service is over, there's gonna be prayer teams right down here. You can walk up to one of our prayer teams near the platform, let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus and they will give you that book. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the Next Seven Days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. Get the same thing there. Our team would love to help you if you made a decision to follow Jesus. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family this morning? We also want to let our connect group leaders go now so that you can head out to the expo. But Pastor Gary will conclude us here in just a moment. Hey, can we give Pastor Zach a good hand for that message this morning? I trust it hit home with you today. Uh, As our connect group leaders are finding their place, let me just share one thing before we go today. Every service, we always take a moment to just say thank you so much for your giving and your faithfulness in giving. We do appreciate it. Uh, For the last three or four months, we've been giving you regular updates on ministries we're involved with around the world and great things that are happening because we're helping finance those ministries. Today, I just want to remind you, everything that we do locally, around the world, Everything we do, it's because of faithful people and the goodness of God. And I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving today. We always put the different ways you can give on the screen so you can get involved as God leads you. If you're in the house today and you have a physical gift you want to give today, there are envelopes on the back of the chairs. There are also giving stations on each side of the doors as you exit the auditorium. We just want to say thank you so much for your giving and for your faithfulness. How many of you found that God's a good God and He's faithful? We're faithful to him as well. Hey, God bless you. We love you. Connect group leaders are out there waiting to meet you. Find a group that fits you. It's going to be a great day, a great week, and a great year.